is my co-host Brent Hut Hut Hikes. Follow him at Brent Hikes H E I K E S on Twitter. Brent, we have an awesome guest tonight, Jim Sonis, your friend and rival in your Dynasty Fantasy Football League. Yes, be a good show tonight. It will be. We had an awesome <laughs> interview with Jim, so let's hop right into the main event. And now for our main event. He is a senior writer and analyst for Numberfire, focusing on daily fantasy and betting for football, baseball, golf, and NASCAR. Podcasting is a big part of what Jim does at Numberfire as he hosts the Solo Shot and co-hosts the Heat Check Fantasy Podcast and Covering the Spread. Jim is a two-time Fantasy Sports Writers Association Award winner as a 2018 Fantasy Football Writer of the Year. Congratulations, Jim. Thank and you. an author of 2017's Best Fantasy Baseball Online article. Follow him at Jim Sanas, S-A-N-N-E-S, on Twitter. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's fun to be talking football and distracting ourselves from all the, the wild stuff that's happened within the past year. So I am ecstatic to be here. How are you guys doing today? Good. We are great. So 2017-2018 FSWA Awards. Have they had the 2019 ceremony yet? They did, did yeah. Pre- that's that's an outdated bio. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, we, we won um, – I didn't. Uh, it was uh, – we won Podcast of the Year with myself and Brandon Gadula, uh, my co-host on the, the well, Heat Check counts. Fantasy podcast. What's that? That's a win for you. It's a you half. That in the book. <laughs> I give Brandon more credit because he's the brains of the operation. Uh, he knows all, like, the, the golf data. So um, I give Brandon – let's give him, like, 75% credit for that one. <laughs> I, I think that, – so that's why I'm not going to count it. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was this past year, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That counts as a three-peat in my book. I apologize. I didn't check the, no, check I didn't. the results I, there. My bio on the site is probably outdated because I – forget that it's there a lot of times <laughs> um i just like it was it had like the wrong it had like a lot of outdated data on there like it there was a podcast i did until like 2016 and that was listed as being in there like last year yeah. so clearly i'm behind on updating this thing and i need to potentially go back in there and update that I knew that was a possibility. I did check to make sure all the podcasts are still being published. So those I got are correct. Yes, uh, those <laughs> somehow I got that part right at least. So right. we're batting like five hundred or so here. I think on my end, I need to I need to work on that for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Uh, let's dive into our main event tonight. We're previewing the AFC South, so we have the Colts, Jaguars, Texans, and Titans. Given you work on betting, I have a quick round of over under for the AFC South win totals, and these I pulled off the. FanDuel website because you are a FanDuel uh, That'll work. guy, part of the FanDuel podcast network. So we yep. use the FanDuel sportsbook for these. And hopefully I got the most update on these. You can let me know if I'm off. <laughs> for, for the Colts, I have eight and a half wins over under. I would lean towards the under due to the um, the ambiguity around Phillip Rivers. I think I'm higher on Phillip Rivers than a lot of people are. Um, so I was tempted to go with the over, but I think – uh, with the the change over there, with the the inability to you know really get the cohesion on offense due to COVID nineteen, I will lean under, but it's not a super strong conviction on my part there. Okay, Jaguars five wins. It's hard to bet an under on five wins because <laughs> like you want to bet towards eight, and so in theory I should want the over on the Jaguars. It's really hard for me to get there though. Um, <laughs> 
Like, I think this is one I would probably stay away from just because like, I can see, I can see a push pretty easily. It's, I mean, like, again, they should get to six wins because like, it's, it's not that hard to get there, but I think I'm just going to go with the push. I I can't, I would have a no, no play on this one. Yeah. Those even number ones are tricky. Yeah, it's tough. And I think it's appropriate there. Like that that's that's why those people are doing what they're doing. Like they're odds makers for a reason. That's why I'm sitting here and they're not and they are not. So I take it you're not into Minshew Mania. No. Um no. so I think Gardner Minshew is really fun. I I enjoy watching him play because he's a wild man. Uh but <laughs> when you look at the production last year it didn't seem entirely sustainable. If you look at the teams that he faced, the 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 schedule for Minshew was not that difficult. Um, the overall production wasn't quite as good as I think the hype around it. And I don't think the environment for Minshew is all that good. Uh, the 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 pedigree coming out, I was not a huge Minshew guy coming out of college either. So I'm still inclined. I can sometimes be a little bit stubborn with quarterbacks more so than I should be. Uh, so I need to figure out how to lower my priors on a lot of guys. Maybe Minshew will wind up being another guy who I, I wind up getting wrong. But for right now, I'm lower than consensus on him, I think. Okay. Texans, seven and a half. I'll go over here. Um, and this is I, – I get why the number is low on the Texans given – Bill O'Brien's very strange way of operating this team, given there's no DeAndre Hopkins. That leaves a lot of question marks on offense, but I have faith in the offensive line they have built. It's like, I know that we've made jokes about the Texans offensive line for a long time, but like they had a lot of injuries last year and whether it was them getting better or Deshaun Watson being a better decision maker with the football, their sack rate dropped a lot. And that was despite having a lot of injuries at tackle. Like Laramie Tunson missed a couple of games um, uh, and uh, Titus Howard missed some games too. So like there were a lot of issues for the Texans offensive line and they still found a way to play pretty well. So I think I lean over here. Bill O'Brien, he is a terrible GM, but his coaching record is decent. So I'll go over on the Texans for sure. Yeah. Deshaun Watson can put that team on his back, maybe. Absolutely. Eight plus. Absolutely. Last one, Titans, eight and a half. Under? (laughs) I know. (laughs) So remember how we just had a conversation about how I'm stubborn with quarterbacks? I can't stand Ryan Tannehill. And (laughs) it bothers me to no end that what happened last year happened. This is, again, uh, probably because I'm a Marcus Mariota guy. So there are reasons that this happens. And you're bitter. You're yeah, I got rid of him. That's the right <laughs> word. That's the right word I would use is bitter. So I lean under. I think there are a lot of paths to regression for Tennessee, and uh, they traded away Drew Casey. So like uh, they lose Jack Conklin at right tackle. I think with those losses, the odds that Ryan Tannehill takes a step back from where he was last year are higher. If that happens, I can see them hitting the under here for sure. I have the highest conviction in the Texans. One of those four. But I would say I feel pretty okay about uh, the under for the Colts and the Titans. So I'm a Titans fan, so I I'm don't sorry. appreciate that <laughs> under call. There. I'm sorry. You, I mean, I'm and, not sorry that you're a Titans fan because obviously last year was really fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And, like, I grew up a Jets fan, so, like, watching the Titans beat the Patriots was awesome and endeared me towards the Titans for a very long time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just I I can't not- find a Tannehill yet. I have an undeniable advanced metric that will totally disprove your whole theory. You okay, what is this? 
Four years in a row, Titans have gone nine and seven. Okay, so the spirit of Jeff Fisher lives on. Uh, even though this is two teams ago, I know it, it's it's usually the eight and eight, but like he was nine and seven a lot too. So I am glad to know that the spirit of Jeff Fisher is still alive and well out in Nashville. Yeah, four years in a row, so they're just going to do it forever, I think. And it's a lock. It's guaranteed. Send it to the now, bank right now. Third wild card spot. That means they're probably in the playoffs every year at nine and seven. Exactly. Exactly. You are set in stone there. <laughs> <laughs> all right so who wins the division then uh texans i guess since texans are colts maybe yeah i think the texans would be my pick um at the at their current odds um i think because you know they're not currently the favorites i think that uh because you're getting a little bit of negative sentiment around bill o'brien eventually the roster management will catch up to them but i think having Deshaun Watson can allow you to make a lot of mistakes from a roster building perspective. So I would still go Texans. Um, uh, eventually things, you know, Deshaun Watson can't do everything for you. You will need to give him pieces, but I would still go Texans here, even though it's scary given the way things have gone with Houston for sure. I feel so bad for Deshaun. I hope he leaves. Like, yeah. Not only for my own self-interest as a Titans fan, but because they've done nothing to – incentivize him to stay they've like if we could get to sean watson in a fast offense like a high-paced offense whoo giddy up buddy that'd be really fun to watch so i am all in favor of letting deshaun watson become his fullest self yeah uh so how many teams make the playoffs then just the texans or do you think the colts potentially squeak in there with that third wild card I think one of uh the tight or one of the titans of the colts would probably wind up getting in there because like the afc east is pretty rough um so i think that like you're probably not going to see a whole lot of contention come from there uh the afc north i think that the browns are, are a good bet to get one of the wild card spots after the ravens get maybe the the steelers get another one uh the west you know there are questions around the chargers with the the quarterback situation there questions around the raiders uh with pretty young team and uh, not the the greatest defense. So I think there are enough open wildcard spots where I would not be shocked if either the Colts or the Titans got in. I'd probably lean Titans over Colts by a hair, Uh, but I think that uh, both teams are viable within that discussion for a a wildcard spot. You're getting back in my good grace. Okay, good, good. (laughs) I'm glad to know that. (laughs) Counterpoint on the Chargers. They have more of a home field advantage this year with no fans than they did last year. That's very true. It's not a net <laughs> negative. Uh, so they're, they're – yeah, that's weird. Oh, gosh, I didn't think about that. Um, and they get Terod Taylor, uh, who is awesome and fun to watch. So it could be good, uh, but I, I, I'm not expecting them to, you know, necessarily be as good as they were back in 2018, which is unfortunate because they were really fun that year. All right, and how far do you think do you think any of those teams make the AFC Championship or just wild card division round losses? I think it's like a you know a one and done type thing, just because the the high end of the AFC AFC is so good. And again, like I mean, the Titans did just beat the Ravens, so it feels like I can't dismiss them. But I think the high end of the AFC is so good that I'm okay saying that I wouldn't expect any of the AFC South teams to make a, a deep run in the playoffs this year. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's hop into our dynasty buys. So I'm going to give you the first word, Jim. Who's your dynasty buy from the AFC South? So this is team dependent uh, because uh, 
you're not going to buy T.Y. Hilton if you're not in win-now mode. But I think that T.Y. Hilton, given the likely cost tied to him, is a good player to buy if your team has a shot at winning. And honestly, I think a lot of teams have a shot at winning this year just because there's going to be so much wildness uh, for 2020. So maybe even if you're like a a fringe contender, if you want to give yourself a a push to the playoffs, I think that T.Y. Hilton is a good player to go out and get. Still produced, uh, you know, at times last year, still got targets in that offense. Phillip Rivers, you know, we can talk we want about him, but a lot of the struggles with him were picks late in games. And for a wide receiver, you don't care about the picks. You want a guy who will throw deep, and Phillip Rivers did do that last year, and he wasn't as bad as perception at doing so. Um, He still allowed his skill position guys in Los Angeles to have production, and now he doesn't have – Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, uh, all these guys to, to Mike Williams to get the ball to, it's T.Y. Hilton and some question marks. Very good, very talented question marks, but question marks nonetheless. So I think that T.Y. Hilton will be cheap production for at least this year, and it could go beyond that if they get their quarterback situation ironed out. So given what it will take to get him, I think this is a good time, if you are in contention, to go out and get T.Y. Hilton and, and just bank that production for 2020. I'm going to talk about T.Y. a little later, but so I'll pass it to Brent. Do you have any thoughts on Hilton? I like him for this year. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call him like a dynasty buy, um, but for redraft, I'm, I like him. I'm in for this year. It's weird because I'm actually lower on T.Y. Hilton in redraft uh, than I am in dynasty. Like I don't actually want to get him at his current ADP in redraft. Uh, so weird. it's weird to call him a dynasty buy despite not – being someone to target him at his current ADP. But I think just because people are going to be so out on him, he's hurt now already, and he's coming off an injury, injured season. I think that that's going to keep the cost low enough where you can probably get T.Y. Hilton for super cheap. And I think that, that that cost in Dynasty is going to be low enough for me to buy in. Whereas in Redraft, he's kind of a, a tougher sell for me, which is weird, I know. Mm-hmm. Brett, do you want to go next? Well, um... Jim, you might not like this dynasty Uh-oh. buy. Um, you've already mentioned him, Uh-oh. but um, my dynasty buy is Ryan Tannehill. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did just turn 32 years old, um, but he did sign a four-year contract in March. And yes, I do know that he, they can he can get out of the contract, or the Titans can get rid of him after two years. Um, but you don't want to look too far ahead in, in dynasty. Um, he played great down the stretch, and they almost made the Super Bowl. I mean, he was one of the one of the top fantasy quarterbacks last year towards the end of the year. He had 22 touchdowns, only had six interceptions in the 12 games that he played in. Only had only had 10 starts throughout the year. Um, he's got he's got some weapons to feed now. AJ Brown he looks like a force. John o. Smith looking like a force too. Um, he's he's got some guys to feed. Yes, I know Derrick Henry is going to get his share, but I don't know if they're going to feed Derrick Henry all that much. They might want to save him for a late, a late playoff run. Um, they might, but I do think with Henry, um, they're looking to save him up a little bit, and um, maybe, maybe they'll allow Tannehill to pass it to AJ Brown and John Smith, and maybe, maybe even a little bit of Corey Davis. I mean, if Tannehill can play at least somewhat close, like he did towards the end of the last year, I mean, that quarter twenty, so he's gonna, he's gonna. He's going to give you better than quarterback 20 results. So that's why I'm buying Tannehill for, for Dynasty. 
Jim, do you want to rebut that since you're no, the I, I don't want to rebut it. Like, I think um, when you look at again, like in super flex leagues, like it's so valuable to have starting NFL quarterbacks. And like you said, the the contract situation for Tannehill means he's probably going to have a pretty long leash just because they did give him so much money. So I think those are the positives for Ryan Tannehill. The reason that I'm skeptical is like you don't often see players in their age 32 season or whatever it is uh, pop up and have breakout years and then sustain that. Uh, the sample on players who have done that is pretty small. Um, so the numbers on Tannehill last year were great. I am just skeptical because we haven't seen players of this profile, uh, you know, become entrenched long-term NFL starters and guys who wind up being good for a long period of time. So uh, fading the profile, but I understand buying in just because like Tannehill did look really good last year. I get it, uh, but it's definitely not for me just because the, the track record of guys like him is so spotty. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's going to be hard to – he had 70% completion percentage last year, and I think a lot of that was due to their success running play action. He didn't get a ton of volume in 12 games. He only had 286 attempts, so you're looking at 20 to 25 a game potentially. So for him to have fantasy value, he's going to have to be very efficient, and maybe that's sustainable if they continue to have the same type of success, but it seems like you're kind of betting on maybe an outlier as opposed to – uh, playing it safe. So depending on the value, I guess if you're looking at him as a second QB in a super flex league or something like that, any serviceable starter and he does have some upside, which Brent covered, but I, I don't know, even as a Titans fan, I'm, I was a little skeptical that when they gave him that deal and I hope it works out, but I, it's hard to not see last year as a little bit of an outlier. There was a lot of money thrown around this off season. So it's yeah. uh, always a scary proposition, but you know, I, I mean, it'd be fun to watch him do well because I want to watch, guys like A.J. Brown succeed, and Ryan Tannehill's a big part of that. So um, I hope he succeeds, uh, but still just skeptical on my end. Yeah. My dynasty buy is DJ Chart. So he's currently going number 42 overall as wide receiver 19 in DLF's latest ADP. He was one of the few bright spots for last season for Jacksonville. He had 73 catches for just over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. He had 12 end zone targets, which was tied for fifth most in the league, and he finished the year as wide receiver 16. Uh, he's 23 years old. His size and speed profile is terrific with 6'4", 200 pounds, and 4'3", speed at that size is crazy. Uh, with Gardner Minshew entering his second season, Jay Gruden perhaps adding a spark on this offense. We'll see. I think Chark has a ton of upside as a potential alpha wide receiver in this offense. I think the also the situation is pretty good in that I expect the Jags to be really bad this year, as you've already covered, Jim. So uh, I, as a result of that, I expect them to pass quite a bit. Other than DJ Turk, there aren't a lot of options. I feel great about this season on that offense. They drafted LaVisca Schnall. I think he's going to have an opportunity, but he's only a rookie. I don't see him meeting into Turk's workload necessarily, just given some of their differences as the types of wide receivers they are. Uh, and then the other wide receivers are D.D. Westbrook, Chris Conley, and Keelan Cole. So pretty uninspiring. Uh, there were some trades I liked recently involving DJ Chark uh, as far as a value that you could potentially buy him for. And these are from the DLF trade finder. Uh, someone got him straight up from Arlen Mack. Someone got DJ what? Chark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of these I am always skeptical on because I'm like, I guess it only takes one in your league, but sure. somebody got it. I don't know if these are all representative, but these would be deals I would be happy to do. Sure. Uh, so the next one was DJ Chark and AJ Dillon. For Tyler Lockett. Uh, 
DJ Chark for T. Higgins and a fourth, and DJ Chark for Hunter Renfro in the third pick of the second round of the draft. So, what? <laughs> yeah, some of those seem a little crazy to me. Maybe I'm higher on DJ Chark than a lot of other people, but yeah, any of those deals I would be pretty happy to make. And get I think those from. are all great. And the reason that I think that DJ Chark is fun is because uh, I want players who get high leverage targets, which means targets downfield or in scoring position, essentially, like in the red zone and stuff like that. And Chark last year had most of those targets for Jacksonville. Chris Conley got some deep looks uh, and like, They'll probably still be on the field, I would expect. Uh, I guess it depends on whether Chanel competes more with uh, D.D. Westbrook or with Conley. But, like, DJ Chark's going to get a, a good chunk of those high-leverage targets, and I think that there's a lot of value in those. So um, I am very okay with being high on DJ Chark entering this year. Yeah, and he has a point like that's not afraid to sling it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, question for you, though, Levi. Sure. DJ, DJ Shark or Terry McLaurin? For dynasty purposes, you're asking Dynasty, dynasty. yeah. Man. I think it's really <laughs> close. Uh, if you it's, made me pick, I'd probably go Shark just because I like his situation slightly better than Washington. But I don't know, man. I, I like them both quite a bit. It's a great question. What do you think? I don't know, man. <laughs> That's why it's a great question because I got no idea. Um, I probably would also go Chark. Um, skeptical of the – I guess I could be skeptical of the Jaguars too. But um, I think – yeah, I think I would go Chark. It's hard to talk bad about Terry McLaurin, uh, but I think because what we saw at a Chark was like a full season type thing, whereas McLaurin – essentially had spurts it was not of his own doing because like they were so archaic in the way they ran their offense after the head coaching change uh but i would go shark by a hair but it's very very close did we I think, think i would too yeah yeah all right brent who's your dynasty cell dynasty cell you guys are gonna kick me off this podcast tonight i think <laughs> uh, my dynasty cell is deshaun watson okay <laughs> Um, he's getting drafted as the third quarterback in Dynasty. And, I mean, the, it's not that I hate Deshaun Watson that much. It's just I, I'm not getting him third in Dynasty. Um, his star receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, he's gone. He, he, looked, he looked to Hopkins a lot, and that was a big part of their offense. And now we'll have to see how Deshaun Watson does without Hopkins. Um, the wide receiver corpse that he has this year, um, they have some major injury concerns with – Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, um, Kiki Cutie, I'm Will Fuller, obviously, and Randall Cobb. So, and, I mean, there's concern in the running game, too. I mean, who knows if David Johnson will be back to his old self. Um, his red zone completion percentage was 28th in the league last year and 33rd the year before. So, obviously, in the red zone, especially without having DeAndre Hopkins, who knows if that can be even worse. Um, they were 19th in passing plays last year, so um, they don't pass it that much, even with a poor running game and with DeAndre Hopkins. And now they got David Johnson, so they might even be running even more, and they're, they, they might not be passing as much. And I just can't justify picking Deshaun Watson and Dynasty over Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, or Russell Wilson. Yeah, and he's going right in front of them too. So I, I think it makes sense. Like I think that if – People shied away from Deshaun Watson because of DeAndre Hopkins. You could have found a situation where maybe he'd be undervalued, but 
the market doesn't seem to have reacted at all, um, which is interesting uh, because like it's, it matters when a, a quarterback loses a wide receiver as good as DeAndre Hopkins. So I definitely understand that. Um, I think that I would make sure you're getting value for Deshaun Watson, which yeah. obviously like you're, you're saying the same thing, but yeah, quarterback three, I think that's higher than I'd have him as well. I like that. You mentioned some of the injury concerns you have a receiver, Brent, and one of the names you threw out there was Brandon Cooks. How many games do you think he missed last year? I think it was I, I know last year wasn't that much. I think he only missed like one last year, didn't he? Yeah. He missed yeah. two. He missed two. two. He played fourteen yeah. games. The one, two, three, four years before that, he played all sixteen. So I think there is a lot of concern if he has another concussion that it could be a yeah. career ender, especially if it is a severe one. But as far as his durability, it hasn't really been an issue in recent history. So if he is able to avoid that, I think you can probably count on him to be out there for the full season. And when he's been able to do that, historically, he's been very productive. Uh, Four seasons over 1,000 yards. Last year, obviously, he was a step back. He only had 583 yards in that Rams offense uh, and only had 42 catches. But he's still only 26 years old. He turns 27. Crazy young when he came out. Yeah, so I think there is plenty of room here for him to rebound and paired with a quarterback like Deshaun, I think there is a good chance that he has a really good year if he can avoid those concussion issues this season. So I think probably that gives me a little more faith in Deshaun Watson and what this offense will be able to do if Cooks can step into that role and maybe not completely replace, obviously, what they had. Uh, with the under Hopkins, but at least get a good share of that production. I understand where you're, what you're saying on Deshaun Watson. I probably would take Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson over him, and maybe Kyler would be right there. Deshaun's probably a little more stable. Kyler probably has a little more upside. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. But I, I think Deshaun's still going to be a really good quarterback for fantasy purpose, certainly, and I wouldn't be rushing by any means to try to get him off my roster at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it, and, and that's very possible. He could rebound, and um, maybe Brandon Cooks will be his guy. It's just kind of – I mean, with where he's at, I don't think there's another – I don't think there's a shot in his career that he's going to be better than quarterback three. So, I mean, he's might, he might be the most valuable right now in his whole career. So that, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. And, yeah, you have to get the best value value for them. And if you can't find good value, you roll with it. Right. So Definitely. That's the luxury is you don't have to sell them. You, know, you, can, <laughs> yeah. you can shop around, though, for sure. Yeah. Like, oh, always yeah. at least see what the what the market is, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dynasty sell is also in this Houston Texans offense, so I'll go next. Uh, mine's David Johnson. So he turns 29 this season. He's averaged only 3.6 yards per carry and 1.4 yards after contact during over the past three seasons. Last year, he faced a light front on 62% of his carries, which was number six among running backs, and he was still that inefficient. Uh, he was terrible at evading tackles, number 51 among running backs in Duke rate. Uh, he is a good receiver, but with Duke Johnson there, I think that he's going to get some of that receiving workload, especially on third downs. Uh, he's missed, he missed three games last season, one with a back sprain, two with a high ankle sprain. That, combined with his ineffectiveness, caused him to lose his job to Kenyon Drake, of course. Uh, and he didn't ap- appear in more than 50% of the snaps in any of the last six games that he played last season. Uh, 
I think his value is probably only going down at this point, given his age and some of those other factors that I mentioned. There were a couple of recent trades I thought were decent on the trade finder. Uh, Johnson for Marlon Mack, a 2021 second and a 2021 third. Uh, and Johnson for Tyler Lockett in a 2021 third. I, I wouldn't necessarily trade him before the season starts. I think he'd probably be best off just waiting until he hopefully has a good game sometime early in the season and maybe a couple running backs get COVID or something and there's a desperate team out there in your league. I think that's probably when you're going to get maximum value for David Johnson. And you probably get a little more than those trades I just mentioned, but he's not someone I would want to be holding on my roster at the end of the season by any means. Yeah, I think what you said there about holding him until a couple weeks in is probably, if I were to sell David Johnson, the way that I would do it too, just because I think he's going to have a good role to open this year. And on a team that, like I said, I expect to be pretty good again this year. So I think that if you are inclined to move David Johnson, I'd probably, like you said, hold him initially, wait until we see what that role is. Like, obviously there's risk in that because, like, anytime you're holding a player longer and longer, like, you're increasing the odds something happens. But I think I'd agree with you where that is the right way to play things in this specific scenario. I absolutely agree, too. Um, I think it's it's – I, we had another guest say that it was an easy one. <laughs> I mean, it's a, that's the easy way to take taking David Johnson. So <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I mean, fantasy but, football but I, doesn't I, have to be hard, Brent. Doesn't <laughs> have to be hard. Um, I, I do like that idea though. Waiting, waiting a few games, see if he has a good game. Just you just hate to see him get injured in week one and be out for the year, and we never yeah. hear him again. Right. That's the risk you take if you decide to try to yeah. get that extra value by trading them in season. But could potentially, I guess it depends on the risk tolerance of the owner and right. what your <laughs> team situation is. Uh, Jim, who's your dynasty sell? Ah, uh, so sorry again to the <laughs> Titans. Um, <laughs> this is bashing on the Titans podcast. Uh, mine's actually AJ Brown uh, because huh? he's currently the 28th ranked player in dynasty startup ADP at DLF and. He's right behind Mike Evans. He is a bit ahead of Amari Cooper, Kenny Galladay, Odell Beckham. And I get it because he's super talented, coming off an awesome rookie year. But it's tough for me to get to that level. And I think that if I can get that much for him, I am very inclined to uh, try to see what I can get. The market shares were good for A.J. Brown last year, but the the raw volume wasn't, given how run-heavy they were. If we look just in their bye week odds, this is after – he fully broke out after you know Delaney was was hurt and stuff like that, uh, and after Tannehill became quarterback, he averaged six point five targets per game. Did have awesome weeks in there, despite you know not having a ton of volume because he was so efficient. But I just think there are paths to disappointments and underperformance this year because like if the Titans are really good, then the the low volume passing game continues. If they're bad, it probably means that Tannehill regressed, uh, turned back into a pumpkin. So I think that there are a couple different paths to AJ Brown disappointing. So like, again, I, we were talking about with Tannehill. I want Tannehill to be good so I can watch AJ Brown be good. Cause like he's disgusting. He's really fun to watch, but I think in his, his team specific context, it's really hard for me to get to 28th overall. And I think at that, at that, at that number, I'd be inclined to see what I could get and uh, see if I can sell him while the stock is so high entering this year. Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for him to be that efficient again, but do you think he sees an uptick in volume a little bit potentially this season? Since they know going in, he is a top-tier wide receiver and he is one of the key pieces they have in that offense. 
from I the think there's go. a chance of that. Like, like uh, I was talking about his market share numbers. Like his market share numbers could get better, and then even if they don't pass that much, um, it may not matter. But I think that you kind of need that to happen for him to be the the 28th ranked player in, in overall dynasty ADP. So I think I'd rather like if it happens, then his value probably is like. Maybe he gets up into like, uh, you know, 24th-ish round range. But I think that the upside from where he's going is, isn't that wiggle that much wiggle room. But the downside beneath it, if they become a low-volume passing team or if they, they struggle to throw the football, I think the downside outweighs the upside there for me. I love A.J. Brown as a football player. And um, I guess I shouldn't say I, I love him as much as I do in fantasy, but – he, he's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, but fantasy-wise, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, he plays on a run-oriented team, even though I was talking up Tannehill earlier. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of A.J. Brown. Maybe not as – I mean, fantasy-wise, not as big as I really am as an NFL fan. So, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. I do. Um, but for Dynasty – I might be waiting for that stud quarterback in a couple of years that he, he might be playing with. So, yeah. So I might hold on to him for a couple of years just to see what happens. And like, you're going to get good production. Like I can, I can talk down on his volume all I want, but like, he's still going to be like the floor on him is still good because he's so good as a football player. And that matters mm-hmm. a lot. So like um, it's hard to trade away. I, I generally not a proponent of trading away actual production, bankable production. And AJ Brown has that, but I think just with the, with the, the stock being so high, I can allow it as long as I'm getting production in return or, you know, high-end stuff for sure. Okay. Question. Trade. Go ahead. Um, Odell or A.J. Brown in Dynasty? Um, so my feelings of Ryan Tannehill are the exact opposite of Baker Mayfield, which will <laughs> skew the answer of this question, but I would go Odell Beckham. Levi? If you were trading him away, Jim, what would you be looking to get? So I would want – I'd probably be looking for, honestly, like an older player. Um, not like old, but like an Odell Beckham type, honestly. Like if you can get Odell Beckham plus for A.J. Brown, I think you can because Beckham is going after Brown in, in start startup ADP. Beckham coming off – yeah, he's 34th, whereas Brown is 28th. Um, Beckham's coming off an injury season – He's still pretty young. Um, I think that offense should hum along pretty well. The concern is that they could also become a run-heavy offense, and I think that that is, like, the first counterpoint you give to to Odell Beckham. Uh, But I'd probably, like, assuming that I can get something alongside Beckham, I'd probably go him over Brown by a hair. I think that was exactly what I was going to bring up, was they want to run the ball as well. And then also, they do have – a lot more weapons probably in that offense for Baker to throw to with that right. limited volume potentially than what Tennessee has. Right. So was, and then the other thing that kind of concerns me a little bit about Odell is it's been a while now since he's had one of those truly elite wide receiver right. one type seasons. And we just saw that last season with AJ Brown as a rookie. True. I mean, there's some risk there with Odell too. Though. Oh yeah. There's very much risk. <laughs> there is very much risk. It's more so focusing. I think that the, the range of outcomes on Odell is larger, but I'm okay with that uh, because I think that the high end of the range of outcomes is really pretty for him still. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I'll go first with my dynasty stash. Uh, I have Josh Oliver. 
So I guess I like this <laughs> Jaguars passing offense. Uh, he's behind <laughs> <Minshew> only mania. <laughs> <laughs> he's behind only Tyler Eifert on the Jags depth chart at tight end. We all know about Eifert's injury history. Uh, Oliver was taken with the fifth pick in the third round last year out of San Jose State. He only played in four games. He missed six games with a hamstring strain he suffered in the preseason, and they missed another six with a back fracture he suffered in week 11. Uh, in the limited playing, he had limited playing time in the games he did play. He ended up with only three catches for 15 yards on six targets. Not really much to speak of as a rookie. And, of course, we don't expect huge productions, huge production typically out of rookie tight ends anyway. Uh, but so maybe the second season he gets on the field a little more and has an opportunity. He is a high-end athlete, 87th percentile speed score, above average burst for a tight end. Had a really big final year at San Jose State by tight end standards. He had 56 catches for 709 yards, uh, four touchdowns. He earned 105 targets, which was pretty crazy. <laughs> he only had 56 catches on those 105 targets, so not a great connection with this quarterback. Uh, but clearly he was a, a go-to receiver in that offense. We talked earlier about how bad we expect the Jags to be this season, and they need someone to step up and help out Chark. I mentioned uh, I think Chenault will have a role in this offense. I think Oliver has a good chance to be another complementary type weapon in this passing offense, and he's going for next to nothing right now. So if he doesn't get on the playing, on the field this year a lot with Eifert there, if Eifert somehow stays healthy, uh, I don't think you're going to be missing out on a lot of value to go out and acquire Oliver. And I think there is pretty significant upside if he – uh, is able to stay healthy this season and, uh, you know, deliver on that draft capital they got last season. Yeah, I think the thought process there of trying to exploit um, malleable depth charts that could change uh, is good. And, like, Tyler Eifert's, like, talk about malleable. Like, Tyler Eifert <laughs> is is malleable himself. So, I think I like the thought process there. Um, the the draft capital is there. Like you said, the, the product or the uh, – the athletic profiles there. So yeah, I think that's a pretty sharp one. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely worth a shot, especially with who he has ahead of him right now. And at Jacksonville, there's not much else besides Shark and um, Chanel. So he, he definitely can find a role this year, maybe even next, I mean, and beyond. Sure. Good. Right. Jim, do you want to go with your dynasty stash? Yeah, sticking with the Jaguars, uh, kind of going at a uh, depth chart that is, I think, in flux or could be in flux. Uh, I want to go Divino Zigbo. I didn't didn't realize we were talking <laughs> outside the Nebraska people uh, before, yeah. but um, I, I promise I'm not pandering to you two, but I do like Divino Zigbo because, again, it's kind of a weird backfield because they've got Leonard Fournette, but it's the last year of his contract situation. Um, there were, like, rumors that the, he might be, like, on the roster bubble at one point. Like, maybe they try to move on from him before the season. That hasn't happened, obviously, but you never know. Uh, they have Rykel Armstead. They have Chris Thompson. But Thompson, we kind of know uh, what you're getting there. Armstead was a fifth-rounder. Doesn't have the same pass-catching pedigree as, as, um, as a Zigbo does. So I think that what I'm looking for is – an open situation, and I think that, that Jacksonville is kind of that. He is a player who had good production in college, showed he can catch passes, and that gives him a path to getting on the field, especially if Chris Thompson doesn't pan out there. So I think that Devano Zigbo is someone to keep an eye on. Um, I, again, I like the production profile a lot at, at Nebraska. So um, giving him an, in a backfield that I think could potentially be in flux at some point, I find that pretty attractive personally. I love it. Yeah, I, I I thought about putting him there too. I mean, he's yeah. only competing with Armstead, really. 
Um, I don't think – I mean, James Robinson, I mean, he could come out of nowhere and maybe take over um, that backup role. But like you said, Chris Thompson is – it's who, who it's who he is. So, I mean, Ozigbo could be the guy. And um, I really, really did like Ozigbo as that last half of the year at Nebraska. He played he played great. He looked like an NFL running back, I really thought. Yeah, so. I was surprised he didn't get drafted. It was really weird. Yeah, yeah. Definitely worth a shot. The only thing that they have to bring somebody else in this offseason, right, if they don't re-sign Fournette, like between all the talented free agents that are out there and then potentially adding somebody through the draft, I mean, surely they're not going to go into next offseason with Thompson, Armstead, and Ozigbo as their I mean, running The backs. draft is scary because it's it's, there's a lot of good running backs. I mean, it, we don't know what the draft's going to look like, but like based on the dudes who stayed this year, there are a lot of good running backs who are going to be in the draft next year. Yeah. And I think Ozigbo has to get his shot. Sure. If either Fournette gets hurt or maybe they trade Fournette halfway sure. through the year. Yeah. And he'll get his shot and he's got to – he's got this is his shot, so he's got to take advantage of it because if he doesn't get a shot this year, they are going to get somebody exactly. else. And, yep. and I was just – you have him on, on your team in our I dynasty. <laughs> I made sure I had him before I mentioned his name. I, I had to check. Um, <laughs> I was a little nervous, like, oh, man, I, I forget when waivers run all the time. I keep forgetting the bids in. Okay, I've got him. We're good. Okay, sweet. Yeah, as a dynasty stash, he's certainly worth a shot. Like you mentioned, Brent, if something does happen to Fournette, there's a huge opportunity there to get a lot of work in that backfield. Yeah. Brent, who's your stash? My stash is Michael Pittman. He was drafted with a 34th pick in the second round um, this past year. Um, he was their first pick. He, he was drafted ahead of the great Jonathan Taylor. They traded up to get Michael Pittman. So you know the Colts really like Michael Pittman. Um, he's 6'4", 223 pounds, ran a four five forty. So he's physically ready to play in the NFL this year. Um, if he's not quite ready this year, I mean, he got a year experience. And, I mean, like I said, this is my dynasty stash. Stash him on your team. I think he could have a better year as the years go on. Um, and he could be the guy next year, especially with T.Y. Hilton um, probably leaving after this year. Um, so last year he had 101 catches for USC, um, over almost 1,300 yards, along with 11 touchdowns. That's a great year for college football, and um, I just expect big things out of him. Maybe not this year, but might have to look second year, third year, and probably not with Philip Rivers as his quarterback. <laughs> so. I think that's kind of the hope with Michael Pittman is that people are scared of uh, going there because of Phillip Rivers. Like, we don't really know what the long-term outlook is within that team. And I think that that's probably going to at least put a cap on, you know, how high he's going to go. So I think that's that'll make it a lot easier in negotiations if you're trying to try to get Michael Pittman on your team so you can kind of hold him for next year and see what happens. Um, and I think that People do consider that. So hopefully that's keeping things in check with Michael Pittman for sure. Because I agree. I think the talent is really good. And, like, that offensive line is sick. So I want pieces of that offense when I can get it. So I think that he's he's a good way to get it without paying all that much. Yeah, I'll drop one stat in here I had saved for later, but I feel compelled to share it now. So last season, the we've talked about how some of the other teams like to run the ball like the Titans, the Browns, and the Colts are also one of those teams. Last year, they ran the ball 46% of plays. They were one of the run-heaviest teams in the NFL, and that was despite finishing 7-9. and nine. So maybe that changes, I don't know. But if with that addition of Jonathan Taylor and the continued 
skill that they have on that offensive line. I think it seems like that's maybe their first preference is to try to control the game with the run. That makes me a little skeptical on some of these receiving options in Indy, but this is just a stash and things can certainly change a lot once Phillip Rivers is out of the picture. So I think it's a good pick, Brad. I like I like Pittman Stallion a lot. I just don't know shorter term, which of course with the stash you're not really expecting that anyway, but it'll be interesting to see what changes and if that opens up opportunity for Pittman in the future. I think that the Colts will know pretty quickly um, what their philosophy is going to be because like last year, like, or in 2018, the Colts ran a lot on first and second down in the first half, which is kind of an indicator of like what they want to do last year, like right away, it seemed like they didn't have a ton of trust in Jacoby Brissett. So like if week one, if the Colts have a high passing rate on first and second down, then I would try to get piece of that passing game because I think it was just kind of like a hesitancy to lean fully into Jacoby Brissett. But if they decide to unleash Phillip Rivers this year, um, I think we'll know pretty quickly for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things. It was such a weird situation with Andrew Luck's retirement yeah. at that point last season. It's hard to say that that's really what they wanted to do or if that's just kind of what they were forced to do forced, based yeah. on their quarterback situation. So it'll be interesting for sure. I like that mm-hmm. pick though, Brent. I like Pittman's style a lot. Uh, all right. Uh, Jim, do you want to go first with your redraft sleeper? Yeah, so sticking with the Jaguars because why not? You know, it's, I like – going to good teams in fantasy. So I'm talking about the worst team in this division for this entire show. Uh, but I like LaVisca Chenault as a redraft sleeper because you were talking about the depth chart before, and that depth chart is not that good. I love Chris Conley, the human being. Football player is not a huge impediment to other players getting playing time. Didi Westbrook like hasn't proven all that much in the NFL either. So I think that Chenault uh, is interesting. He's going at pick one, or 210 right now uh, in best ball pens. So this is based on uh, the month of August ADPs. And it makes sense that he will be risk-averse to rookies uh, with, with the truncated training camps, the preseason games. And it's not a great offense, but kind of sounds like Chenault – could be one of those guys who is going all over the place, uh, getting the ball hopefully in creative ways. And he was a 42nd overall pick. So clearly this team thinks highly of him. There's not a ton of resistance ahead of him on the depth chart. So I can see a path to LaVisca Chenault eventually having like an 18 18 to 20% target market share. And if he gets that, even on a a not great team, that could be pretty enticing. So I think that Chenault at pick 210, like he's someone you can get very, very late. I think that there is a good chance he gets a role. And if they decide to give him like that Debo Samuel role where he's getting a couple rush attempts per game too, and A.J. Brown, um, that could be really valuable. So Chenault, I think, worth the risk at pick 210. Yeah, I like it. I like, I like him a lot if he can stay healthy. You mentioned yeah. the Debo Samuel comparison. I like that a lot. With watching him in Colorado, his – Oh. biggest skill set is his ability to run with the ball in his hands and so I think any way they can set him up to do that they'll be happy to do that uh, if he's completely healthy he is a beast out there in the open field and unfortunately as Nebraska fans we got to see that up close and personal <laughs> times the last couple of years but I, I think Chanel has a tremendous opportunity and a lot of talent uh, so I like that pick a lot He's a great receiver. I mean, from from Washington at Colorado, because Nebraska played in the last two years, and he just killed Nebraska. Um, <laughs> but great receiver, and when he runs the ball, because they did a lot of wildcat with him, he look he looks like an NFL running back. Even he, he's he's very talented. So I hope he stays healthy. Because if he does stay healthy, he's definitely gonna have a big role at Jacksonville. Yeah, kind of hoping like. 
Wandale Robinson has like a similar trajectory uh, to like a LaVisca Chenault type guy because like that could be pretty fun. Um, some similarities in the skill set too. So like if we if we can make that work, that'd be pretty fun as well. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest difference between those two is size. LaVisca yeah. Chenault is huge, six one two twenty seven. Wandale. Thick. 5'10", 190. So I think his top, like, physical comp was, like, Saquon Barkley at Pro Football Focus, if I'm not mistaken. I could be totally wrong on that. But, like, for some reason, like, I'm pretty sure it was Saquon Barkley as uh, LaVisca Chenault's top physical comp, which is wild. (laughs) Yeah. One question I do have for you. So this is for Redraft Sleeper. You've chosen him. And we know traditionally it takes a little bit for rookie wide receivers to get going and be productive fantasy receivers. Uh this year, how do you think that that is going to be impacted by COVID and lack of preseason games and just kind of the wonky transition that they've had from college to the NFL? I think the good thing is it's probably going to keep things in check. Uh, usually we see an inflation in cost uh, for rookie players because they perform in the preseason. And we're not going to see that this year because, you know, I mean, we're not going to have a read on their playing time either, which is definitely a negative And it's a reason to potentially be skeptical of these guys, but it also means they're not going to get that bump, that August bump that we always see for guys uh, due to the preseason. So, uh, you know, they're still doing training camps. They've been doing training camps for a while now. It's not as if there's no practice. So I, I think that it's not going to help them by any means, but if it keeps the, the, the ADPs tied to these guys lower, I think it could actually be beneficial, may value in fantasy from, from that perspective at least. So it's not good for them, but I think it may help them not be cost prohibitive. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I honestly don't know what to expect, so it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll go next since uh, sticking to my Jaguars theme here, I have a redraft sleeper from that team as well, and it's Leonard Fournette. So it feels kind of weird to call him a sleeper because he's traditionally gone so high in redraft. Uh, He's currently going number 34 overall, though, as running back 17. He's going right behind Todd Gurley and Chris Carson and right ahead of Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and those – uh, that ADP is from ESPN currently. Uh, he finished his running back sixth last season, finally lived up to his first-round pedigree. He was a true workhorse running back. During 15 active weeks, he played 88% of the snaps, handled 87% of the carries, 19% of the targets in that offense. He was seventh or better among running backs in all of these categories. Carries, targets, receptions, touches, yards, and fantasy points. His season would have been even more impressive if it hadn't been for some pretty bad touchdown luck. He had a, a 9.3 OTD, which for any of our listeners who aren't sure what that is, it stands for Opportunity Adjusted Touchdowns. It's a statistic that weighs the, every carry or target for receivers and converts that into one number that indicates what the player's scoring opportunity is expected to be. So, for example, if a player has an OTD of 3.0, it means that a league average player who saw that number of carries or targets in that area of the field would have scored about three touchdowns. And so for him, it was, his was 9.3. So a league average player would have scored 9.3 touchdowns given the opportunity that, that, that he had. He only scored uh, three touchdowns. <laughs> so he had – I certainly expect that maybe to regress in a positive way this season if he gets similar types of opportunity. Uh, I expect him to get another huge workload, some better touchdown luck. He could have a RB1 type season again, and where he's going, that would be a pretty good value for redraft. Additionally, he is in a contract year. He has every incentive to perform it at the highest level possible. Uh, we mentioned the backfield behind him is there's a lot of question marks, so I don't foresee any of them cutting significantly into his workload. I don't love Leonard Fournette as a talent or as an NFL running back. 
if he were in a different situation, I probably wouldn't have him as my redraft sleeper. But I just think what we saw last season with how much volume he got and this being potentially his last year with the Jaguars, he's probably going to get it again, and he's probably going to score a lot of fantasy points based primarily on that volume in this offense. Yeah, and, uh, Leonard Fournette was a big contributor to my very weird dynasty season last <laughs> year. So I would love for the touchdown regression to come, or Brent, I'd love for you to come get him back. Uh, I think he, didn't I trade? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I okay, tra- that was yeah, I thought so. last year. <laughs> yeah, it was Adam Thielen for Leonard Fournette, like straight up, I think. Um, if you want him back, you can have it. I'll, just, I'll put that out there. <laughs> for Thielen? Uh, no, um, <laughs> for something I will happily move on because I have him in two other dynasty leagues too. I got rid of him in one, thankfully, because I was overexposed and terrified, which is like the title of like the Leonard Fournette experience: overexposed and terrified. Um, and DFS, it was so so painful every time he got stuff in the goal line last year. So having traumatic flashbacks just thinking about this this poor man. <laughs> Well, Levi, I think you had a pretty good pick because he's, he's my sleeper too. <laughs> All right. Uh, for, for Dynasty, I'm not a huge fan, but for this year, I think he could have another good year. Like you said, that, I'll be quick on this. Like you said, um, he was one of the top running backs last year, and he only had three touchdowns. So if, when you look at that value right there, I mean, I mean, you, you'd think that he'll at least get six touchdowns this year, double that, and – I will say that he he will probably get a little less receptions because guys like Chris Thompson might take it away. Guys like Josh Oliver might take that away, Chanel. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with where he's getting drafted at, I've done probably about 10 best balls already. And he's probably I've – gotten, I've gotten him in the fourth round on probably about six or seven of them. So, I, I mean, he's obviously being slept on by everybody else, so I had the – pick him as a sleeper I mean he's on my a lot of my best ball teams so I mean I'd much rather have him than David Johnson Chris Carson Todd Gurley Melvin Gordon Le'Veon Bell so that's that's why I picked Fournette and uh, I was thinking while you guys were talking about him what if he does get traded this year and it's like a Kenyon Drake situation where he just explodes at a good offense so who knows so I don't know i I think it'll be interesting to see how he does this year. So I'm I'm taking my chances on him this year. Yeah, and the receiving it. like production has been rough for Leonard Fournette, but it's also hard to tell how much of that is scheme. Like, are they just yeah. giving him like bad targets, uh, and it's like uh, a product of the situation, or is it him? And I think that that, that like that there is that ambiguity, like you were talking about. Like, if you were to go to a different place, maybe the the receiving production gets better. So I think that's something to consider for sure. I'm still trying to get rid of him. So again, let me know <laughs> if you uh, if you want a piece. Uh, <laughs> <All right. laughs> more than happy to discuss it. Sounds good. I'll look at it after the show. All right, perfect. <laughs> I, I might I might throw in Thielen in there, though. All right, perfect. <laughs> I'll go first on my redraft fade, and I know this was your dynasty buy, but you said you potentially weren't a huge fan in redraft, and mine is uh, T.Y. Hilton, Jim. Uh, so he's going number 55 overall in ESPN ADP as wide, as wide receiver 23, right behind D.K. Metcalf and right ahead of Terry McLaurin and Jarvis Landry. Uh, his elite trait is his speed. He's only 5'10", 183 pounds. He ran a 4'3", coming out of college, but he's now ready to turn 31 in November. Before last year, he'd only missed four games in seven seasons. Last year, he missed six games. In the three of the games he did play, he only played in 51% of the snaps or less. 
despite only missing those four games over the pre- previous seven seasons, listen to all these lower body injuries that have caused him to appear on the injury report. He had one calf tear in 2019, last season, and he was on the injury report six times for that and missed five games. He's had two hamstring strains where he was on the injury report for three weeks, missed two games. A quadriceps strain twice where he was on the injury report for three weeks, missed one game. A hamstring strain, uh, again, where he, or excuse me, a groin strain. Uh, he appeared on the injury report for that twice, missed, or had two groin strains, appeared on the injury report three combined weeks. An ankle strain one time for two weeks. Knee contusion, one time for two weeks on the injury report. Hip strain, a foot sprain, a calf strain, a knee strain. All of those were he had them one time and appeared on the injury report for one or two weeks for all of those. So all of that wear and tear is starting to mount, combined with his age, starting to cause him to miss games. He's on the non-football injury list, as you alluded to earlier, Jim, already this season with a hamstring injury he suffered working out on his own. Uh, their passing game was a disaster last season. The top receiver was Zach Pascal. 607 yards. Hilton played only 10 games and was the next highest with 501 yards. The next best receivers were Marcus Johnson with 277 yards and Chester Rogers with 179 <laughs> yards. This season, this season, they should have Paris Campbell healthy. They added Michael Pittman, as we've already discussed, with the second round, then the second pick in the second round, no less. So there is a lot more target competition for T.Y. Hilton. We also talked about how they added Jonathan Taylor and how they were one of the run-heaviest teams in the league last year. There is some risk that that continues to be the case. And so with so many of those headwinds for Hilton, it really caps his upside. At that point in the draft, you're probably better off going with one of the other receivers I mentioned who has significantly more upside and less risk. Yeah, I think that, uh, like I said, like for, for a redraft, like because – because the cost on him is still decently high because people know they're getting just one year. Um, like it's still enough where I'm not actively seeking him out. Like if he were to fall a bit, like if I can get him around like pick 70, like if he's like the Tyler Boyd, Will Fuller range, I think that Hilton's pretty live there, but like he's going in front of Marquise Brown. I'd rather have Marquise Brown. Uh, so it depends on how far he falls. I can get to him in redraft. I would just need him to slip a bit from where he's currently going. Uh, but for Dynasty, I think because you're probably going to get him for dirt cheap, that's that's a split there. But I think for, for a redraft, I agree. If he keeps going where he's going, it's hard for me to to take him over guys like Marquise Brown. Yeah. Honestly, I'm staying away from T.Y. Hilton. He, he's great when he plays. I mean, he was great with luck. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's just his injuries scare me. And he doesn't seem like a Philip Rivers type receiver. Rivers like those likes those big body guys, and it'll be interesting to see how he does with Ty. So I'm just staying away from Ty. So I, he won't be in on any of my redraft teams for sure or best balls. Brett, do you want to go next, and we'll give Jim the last word. Yeah, mine's sticking with the Colts. Philip Rivers. He had a great great career. Let's give it to him. Great career. Um, But last year was atrocious. 20 interceptions, like we talked about. And, yeah, some of them were late in the game, but three fumbles, that's that's 23 turnovers in in just just last year. And he just does not look like his old self. His passing seems off. Um, And the the biggest thing with this is they actually have some talent behind him. So his leash – is going to be shorter than the average starting quarterback. I know Jacoby Brissett isn't great, but he has starting experience, and I can see them possibly going 
um, with Brissett, or if maybe late in the year, um, if they're like three and eleven or three and ten or something, um, I can see them seeing what they have with Eason or even Chad Kelly. So who knows? Who knows with that? Um, I'm just afraid. I wouldn't be picking Philip Rivers um, as my backup quarterback. There's plenty of other quarterbacks. We talked about Derek Carr. Um, I mean, there's like Tannehill as as my backup quarterback. So I'm definitely staying away from Philip Rivers because I think he's done for, and this will probably be his last year. Great career, though. I think that when you're looking at like guys – uh, like Rivers, especially like if we're talking like a, a single quarterback league, is you want quarterbacks who have the path to like being like top end guys because everyone down there is risky. You, you want the ceiling, and that's the big thing Rivers lacks is the ceiling. Whereas like Teddy Bridgewater could be on an offense that has to score, has to drop 40 every game because their defense is so bad. They'll probably be pretty fast uh, based on the way uh, Joe Brady sounds like he wants to operate. So like, yeah, I think. Down there, you're looking at guys like specifically Teddy to me, I think I'd rather just go with someone who has a path to upside, whereas I don't think Rivers has that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Levi? I agree. You guys covered it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, who's your uh, redraft fade? So it's a guy I actually thought I was going to like coming into the year uh, or coming into the offseason. I thought I was going to be in on Brandon Cooks. And because I, I, I agree with you. We're like, I love the talent of the player. And I thought that going to Houston would be a beneficial thing for him. But he's just not as cheap as I thought he would be. He's going 81st overall right now in best ball 10s, which is 10 picks behind Will Fuller. And they have similar risks tied to them. But Fuller, when he's healthy gets the football a lot. Cooks has gotten that in the past, but last year in the full games he played, so excluding the game that he left earlier with the concussion and excluding the two games he missed, he had just 13% of the team's uh, total targets with the Rams. Like I know that Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, those are, you know, high target share guys, Tyler Higby to an extent too, but Cooks didn't get a lot of overall targets, didn't get a ton of deep looks either. So with him going 81st overall, I think – People are just more optimistic about him than I am right now. I'd rather, you know, spend up to get Will Fuller there or wait, getting out of Christian Kirk going a little bit later uh, than Brandon Cooks. Um, I'm okay with the tight ends in that range. Evan Engram's okay. Tyler Higby, his former teammate, I think is viable in that range too. So uh, Cooks, again, is someone that I thought I'd be into this year because I figured he'd be like free effectively, but he's very much not. Uh, So as much as I love Brandon Cooks and have loved him for a long time, I just think because people are still in on him, I'm okay missing the boat if he does rebound in a big way this year. How far would he have to fall for you to feel comfortable taking him? So, okay. So Brandon Cooks is wide receiver 37 right now. Um, he would need to fall... I don't know. Like, uh, I would say I need to get after pick like 105 or so, which is a pretty decent drop from where he's going. So that'd be a pretty decent drop. But I, I think at that point, like we're talking, comparing him to like Darius Slayton, who I, I mean, like, I think Darius Slayton's going a little bit earlier than that, but like um, Slayton has a lot of competition for targets there. I don't have a ton of faith in his quarterback personally. Um, I think that once we get to the, like, after that, like, cd lamb john brown maybe i could consider brandon cooks in that range but even like that i, I might just go cd lamb to get exposure to that disgusting offense so um it'd have to be a, a pretty decent drop from adp for me to buy into cooks 
Yeah, getting close to the double-digit rounds at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like it. I'm I'm staying away from all Houston Texans receivers. I can still do Fuller. <laughs> um, I know it's Ugh. gonna bite me. Um, like I go in knowing full well that it's not gonna work out at some point, but. I think because of the production I get when he is healthy, I'm okay taking that that replacement level production when Will Fuller is not in there. Don't you worry about being able to predict when he's actually going to have those huge games, though? Like, even – so, like, yeah. last year, other than – he had one game with 217 yards, one game Which with 140 – with one game with 140 yards. It was so annoying, though, because, like, it was, he was a great DFS play, but everyone used him. So it's like, okay, if you didn't have Will Fuller, no cash. Even if you did have Will Fuller, like, good luck. Like, yeah. so that was super annoying. It was like the Christian Kirk Tampa Bay game where he just went berserk at, like, uh, 31% of the rosters. So um, hopefully people are scared off from Will Fuller in Daily Fantasy, and we can ride there at some point this year. But, like, other than those two games, his highest receiving – Yardage was 69 yards nice yeah. in one of those weeks. Yep. So that's yeah. my other issue in addition to just the injuries with him. And maybe it changes a little bit this year with DeAndre Hopkins gone. There's more potential for stability there. But even when he's healthy, I mean, trying to hit those boom weeks in a traditional redraft league right. is tough. Right. For sure. I will say that I always try to get Will Fuller in at least a couple of my um, daily fantasy. Because you never know. He might have that huge game. So Right. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, Jim, uh, we will go ahead and post a poll with all of these results once we get this episode up in a few days. Uh, Brent won – well, Brent and Jordan tied last week. Which okay. brought to Brent to one and a half wins, so he's currently leading somehow. I have one. One and a half. Because they tied last <laughs> week. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm in second with one and our guests have the half win from last week so far. So maybe you can rally your troops and bring home a win for the guests, a full win. Let's do this guests. Uh, if you've been on this podcast, I need your votes. Um, I feel like I'm lobbying in like the survivor tribal council thing. Uh, let's band together, form an alliance and dominate this world. It's very high stakes. So absolutely. I feel the pressure already. Like I can feel my chest tightening. We're, we're, we're riding on thin wires here. <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on jim uh everybody should go follow jim at jim sonis on twitter and check out your three podcasts and all of your work over at number fire anything particular that you want to highlight that you're working on just a lot of dfs stuff right now uh we have like a lot of dfs podcasts per week uh, i'm not doing nhl or nba but we have a guy tom vecchio doing those and i'm doing mlb every day uh pga and then nascar so if you want if you want some DFS goodness, uh, head on over to the Number Fire Daily Fantasy Podcast feed, and we'll try to scratch that itch for you. Do you have a PGA pick for this weekend's tournament? Um, let me think here. Let me pull up my sheet. Um, so if I'm picking straight up, I want Webb Simpson. If I am going a little bit longer, I would probably go with, let's say Russell Henley. He was fifty-five to one yeah. at FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, I'll go there. How about that? Okay. That sounds good. Uh, what's what's Henley's cost on FanDuel? $9,700. Uh, he okay. and Chez, Chez Reevy are right by each other. And I, I like both of them. Uh, but if you want like a value play on FanDuel, Bud Colley is $8,600. Pretty well-rounded. So I, I would go with Bud if you want some extra flexibility. For me, it's, it's Webb, Harris English, and then scramble from there on out effectively. 
I love Webb. He, he's fun to watch. He's so good. Like, <laughs> he whenever it's a non-distance course, give me all the Webb that I can mm-hmm. get. And that's what it yeah. is this weekend. So it, it is a Webb Simpson week for sure. Nice. We had a heated debate on Twitter this week. Which is more boring to watch, <laughs> oh, baseball on. or golf? Because <laughs> there are fewer events that happen. Um, like, baseball, there's always, like, the potential something could happen on a pitch. Like, golf, it's, like, the odds that there is something that's super exciting that happens on a shot. And also, like, golf, it just makes me sad because usually whenever I see a shot, it's something that hurts my DFS lineups. I'm usually watching, like, Friday <laughs> afternoon trying to – cut this or sweat the cut so it never winds up well for me and i use a lot of bad putters too so uh, it's 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 more stressful to watch golf so i pick baseball there <laughs> you're on my sense. side which is the good side but we yes. did lose the poll 60 40 we had like 50 ish votes and 60 percent of people think baseball is more boring to watch Come on, people. Right, the polls right. should go in our favor this time. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Jim, for coming on. We had a lot of fun with you, and we really appreciate it. I appreciate so- both of you having me on. I, as always, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, the fun conversation, and good luck to both of you in your uh, respective fantasy seasons. Except Brent. you got to beat him this year. This year uh, when you're not playing me, <laughs> yeah. we're good. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds all good. Right. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, guys. Yes, thanks, thank Jim. you, Jim. All right, Brent, we have another awesome commercial tonight submitted by Trevin, and this one is for a very special product I think we could all use, so I'll go ahead and play that for you now. Are you tired of feeling dumb all the time? Are you always looking for a shortcut to solve complex issues in your own life with quick fixes that will always fail? Do you fall for people scamming you with promises to make your life better, only to be disappointed when you realize you've been tricked again? Well, our professionals who obtain doctorates from such accredited schools as the University of Fargo, South Dakota, online, now defunct, have come up with the perfect cure for your stupidity. It's called Brain Turbo! Not only have our doctors found a way to put a big medical-sounding words on the side of a sugar pill bottle, but they have also found the perfect marketing to separate you from your money. It's been theorized that every celebrity that dumb people idolize have maybe taken Brain Turbo. From Elon Musk to Elizabeth Holmes and other celebrities who present themselves as geniuses but are actually just personal brand marketers, they maybe have taken these pills. Stop into your local GNC today and pick up a bottle of or five of Brain Turbo. Make sure you yell the promo code I'm a Mark immediately when you step in the store to get your discount. Again, that's promo code I'm a Mark at GNC. <laughs> Brent, you gonna go pick up nice. a bottle of Brain Turbo so you can oh. increase your fantasy performance and your drafts this year? I've been taking them for years. Come on. <laughs> no wonder you think you're so smart. <laughs> Oh, geez. That was good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Thanks for submitting that, as always, Trevin. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. If you like the show, it would help us a lot, as always, if you could subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Helps us get awesome guests like Jim. Somehow Brent managed to pull that one off, so thanks, Brent, for hooking us up with Jim. No problem. <laughs> we'll have a new episode for you next week and potentially a new awesome guest. Until then, thanks for being part of the Fantasy Players Club. On behalf of Brett Hut Hut Heikis, this is Levi Valentine signing off.
See ya. Just let us know where you're from, uh, if you're married, if you have kids, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, so I am originally from Casson, Minnesota, which is like a very small town in southeast Minnesota. 6,000 people, one stoplight. Um, it's been a while since I've been there, but uh, I still love Casson. Awesome place, awesome people. But uh, I live in Syracuse, New York now. My wife is getting her PhD at Syracuse. Um, so basically, I work from home, so I can kind of just like – tail around and follow her wherever she needs to go for her schooling, which is great because like, I, I mean, I like having that flexibility. She doesn't have that same flexibility. So it's been, it's been nice for me to kind of be able to just kind of follow around. We just got married back in July. So it's uh, the, the part's still new, but it's been, it's been fun so far. I've definitely enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yes. I saw your registries out there when I Googled you and I wasn't oh, gosh, sure if it was it? you or something. I should, <laughs> should probably try to find a way to hide that. Can you like, look at things on it? Uh, I don't remember. I didn't dig into it because I didn't know if it was you or if it was some other Jim Saunas nope, that's, out there. There aren't a lot of Jim Saunas. For some reason, it's a very weird name. Who can guess why? <laughs> What's your wife's study at Syracuse? Uh, she's studying psychology. Uh, I think she wants to do clinical stuff. Um, so looking to you know go that route potentially but it's a good research university too so it's nice because there are multiple outlets the problem is like my college has like kind of a rivalry with Syracuse like uh because like we're both like broadcast journalism schools so like I feel like I'm betraying my college by being here sometimes uh so I have to like have that animosity still within me to make sure you know like we're we're keeping things on level ground here uh but you know it's a cool place i like the city a lot of, of syracuse and there's a lot of stuff to do during the summer too so I've, I've enjoyed it here for sure awesome yeah you went to northwestern right yeah yeah and like i don't know like it's it's pretty stupid to like compete with other schools uh for like you know for for something as dumb as broadcast journalism because like who cares uh <laughs> but like you're just like ingrained inside you that like yeah. you're supposed to have this rivalry with Syracuse but I met a lot of like other people uh from Syracuse via like broadcasting stuff like in college and all that and they were all super nice so I should probably just like let it go <laughs> yeah.
it's the big J's. They have to compete with each other. To see exactly. Exactly. Got to you know you got to push back a little bit every now and then. <laughs> uh, does your wife or yeah your wife now I guess right uh, does she yeah. play fantasy football? Uh, no, uh, she won a March Madness bracket one year. Um, she beat me. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was her brother was at Wisconsin that, that year, and that was the year I think that they made that that Final Four run. Um, she probably would have won it without that because like uh, she did really well that year. But um, no fantasy football. Uh, some of her coworkers will play it, um, but it's basically me just speaking like gibberish at all times uh, when it comes to fantasy. She gets real football because we've uh, like forced that enough on her. I've tried <laughs> to keep the fantasy stuff away so as to not like totally alienate her at all times. Sure. All right. But how long have you been, have you been playing fantasy football? Um, I started playing it in seventh grade. Um, I don't know what year that was. That's <laughs> try. I don't want to do the math because that would make me sad, but uh, I played it in, um we've had like a library time where we'd have to go to the library and my friend uh james and i would play against each other i had i think carson palmer and peyton manning and it was like this thing where i was like young i was like oh wow like it's really fun to have two quarterbacks and i can just pick whichever one i want to use in the best matchup <laughs> and then like that unfortunately made me go that route for a very few years of my life and eventually i was like oh wow this is a very dumb strategy to carry these two <laughs> quarterbacks that you're using a lot of draft capital on so i had to like unlearn what i had learned as a middle schooler in order to like not suck at fantasy football anymore <laughs> you've, nice. you've learned a few things since then huh? hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed you never know <laughs> was that was that old enough to be on yahoo or was it on Ooh. Um, my first fantasy baseball league was like on Fox sports. I think, I don't even know if they still do it. Um, that was there. And then I think that one migrated to ESPN. I think this one was on Yahoo, if I recall correctly, but it was with a screen name that I definitely cannot remember. So I can't even look like, like it's fun to look up like the old results, but I can't do that Mm -hmm. because like, I don't remember the screen name, which is unfortunate because like, it would be fun to look like, Oh, that was a terrible team. You dummy. Uh, But yeah, I, I I unfortunately can't go dig back through the archives there. So from what you can remember, what's your favorite fantasy football memory? Um, Who favorite fantasy football memory. Are we counting like, daily fantasy stuff here does that okay um week two melvin gordon in uh 2018 was it um there was it was week two and melvin gordon had like three touchdowns and like a half against buffalo got hurt and because he got hurt couldn't he, he couldn't, you know, he had already scored three touchdowns. So I was very happy. But like, if he had played that second half, it would have been a much better day than what it actually was. Uh, but that was fun. Um, I remember most of that roster. It was a Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith-Schuster, Travis Kelsey game stack uh, with Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman, Falcons defense. Uh, so I can remember most of the, the roster there. And I, I care, tend to care more about daily fantasy. So that, that's why that's on the memory sticks out. Redraft-wise, uh, there was a year, it was the Tim Tebow year where he went nuts. Um, I changed my team's name to Tim Tebow and like they went, <laughs> they went uh, undefeated after that. Um, I don't remember who was on the team. I have no idea. Uh, but you know, the, the power of Tebow translated to fantasy football team names too. 
Yeah. Uh, was, uh, presumably Tim Tebow was part of that team. No, very much Really? Not. No, absolutely not. Um, I, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to dabble in those waters. <laughs> uh, well, on the other side, what about, I know you're a gambling, sports betting guy. What's your favorite memory from that? Uh, so last year, actually, during the Super Bowl, um, it was, I was like, nervous the whole game because like I had I had the Chiefs um the Chiefs team total and the Chiefs spread and like it was like annoying because like the entire first half you're like all right they're not doing much uh the third quarter it's like okay I'm just gonna enjoy the game because I've given up on, on both those numbers and then they score the touchdown they take the lead I'm like okay at least you know we'll get the spread here like I'll, I'll definitely take that you know one out of two we, I can live with that for sure and then basically the Damian Williams touchdown at the end, it shouldn't have happened. Like there was no reason for that touchdown to occur, but because he scored, I, I wound up hitting both uh, with the, with the spread and the chiefs team total. Uh, it was huge for DFS too. Cause I had Damian on most of my single game rosters kind of under the assumption that the, the chiefs would win. So that one play swinging like both the betting side and the DFS side of things, like it just combined to me. It like, I was probably not a fun party guest like the first <laughs> half or three quarters of that game because I was like kind of nervous the whole game but then uh just euphoric after that Damien touchdown were those pretty significant bets you had on that um not significant enough where I should have been as nervous as I was it was more (laughs) so like it's like it's nice to it's it's actually a bad beat but it's nice to have the this was the exact opposite of that I should not have won that bet um so it was kind of like the reverse we always focus on the bad beats focus on uh the things that don't break your way this one did break my way uh and I I I am okay relishing in that for a bit because I don't want to focus too much on the negatives (laughs) I'll take that over a bad beat uh, from a memory perspective for sure for sure we are going to make you focus a little bit on the bad beats though what's your most painful um, so I have uh, a sports betting podcast with Dr. Ed Fang. And uh, so I went to Northwestern undergrad. He went to Stanford for his PhD. Last year, Northwestern was playing Stanford. First game, I think it was the first game of the year. And I bet him on the spread. And uh, the, the deal was if Stanford won, I had to wear a Stanford shirt on the show. And if, <laughs> if Northwestern won, he had to buy a Northwestern shirt and wear that. Northwestern played just terrible the entire game. I didn't deserve to win that bet. And, but they were down by three trying to drive in the last drive. And I think it was Hunter Johnson, their quarterback at the time, like botched the snap. It went into the end zone. Stanford scored a touchdown to cover on like the final (laughs) play of the game or like the second to last play of the game. Like I did not deserve to cover to begin with, but then to have like, like again, like the undeserved win at my fingertips only to have it ripped away. I wouldn't have deserved it, so maybe it's not, like, necessarily a bad beat, but it hurt deep because, like, I still have a Stanford t-shirt in my, in my, uh, in my dresser. <laughs> it doesn't fit very well. I don't wear it. Uh, but it's just a reminder of, like, how hideous of a football game that was for both sides, honestly. <laughs> and how did you get started on producing fantasy content? So uh, I was in college and um, I was writing for a, uh, a radio website. Um, our student radio station had a website and they wanted to get into more uh, written content. So I was doing like a numbers piece. And then a guy who used to work for the site, uh, Zach Warren, 
became editor-in-chief over at Numberfire, and he reached out to see if I wanted to do some freelance stuff. Uh, so I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll take some, some money uh, while I'm in college. So started doing freelance stuff for Numberfire. Eventually, Zach moved on to a different job, and JJ Zacharyson came in, and I stayed on uh, once JJ was there and just kept on freelancing for a pretty long time. Um, and then I was doing radio and stuff like that. Um, and then number of hours purchased by FanDuel. So JJ said they had a full-time opening, uh, jumped onto that. So weird circumstances happening to align really well for me and super beneficially, even though again, like, maybe not deserved, but like, you know, I'm not going to complain. Very similar to the Damon Williams thing. Like it's lucky, but I'm not going to complain at all. <laughs> good. Good. What's your favorite thing about producing fantasy content? Uh, I like the variety because like for me personally, I do a lot of different sports. So it's nice to like have it be fresh. Like I can focus on that day's major league baseball slate for three or so hours or whatever, try to get studied up for the next day and stuff like that. And then, uh, transition to look at some PGA stuff, uh, talk about some NASCAR. I can try to do some UFC stuff. Uh, like I don't provide advice for UFC because that'd be terrible and I, I like can't watch it. So I can't really like provide analysis of it, but um, it's nice to have the variety. And then with football season, like obviously like I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, like where you're just like slammed, like you're trying to like do all this fantasy stuff on top of like, you know, uh, like job stuff and all that. And like, it's crazy time suck, but it's way more fun to be busy when it's a fun busy. So I think the variety of it and just the, the freshness of having something new to research every day really makes me happy. JJ's Twitter handle is late round quarterback or late round QB. Have you told him that you used to draft two quarterbacks when you nope. first started playing fantasy? Nope, nope, nope. So uh, we got to like kill the audio. Um, I got to burn the tapes. Um, I, if, if your laptops go missing, don't blame me. It's definitely not me. I did tell him that I, I took Tom Brady in like the third round one year. Um, so that was bad enough. I don't think we should add on the fact that I intentionally drafted two quarterbacks so as to play matchups with them because I feel like that would just that would sink the ship completely. Uh, that would be funny. <laughs> what do you wish was different about the fantasy industry? Uh, I wish that there were it were easier for new voices to break into the industry because it's kind of like a broken system where like if you're trying to write for a new site, you send samples, but you don't have samples unless you've written for somewhere else already. It's kind of like when you apply for like a retail job and like, we want you to have retail experience. Well, it's like, how do I get that retail experience if you won't give it to me? Um, and so like when people are trying to break into the fantasy sphere, I wish that the barrier to entry were lower because like a lot of times when you're writing content, um, like you're writing stuff for free and like not everybody can afford to write for free. And that kind of whittles down the pool and it eliminates a lot of people who would otherwise be super talented fantasy uh, analysts and prohibits them from getting into the sphere, which sucks. Uh, I think this is a really fun sphere. I'd like it to be available to everyone and hopefully we can, we can get there. And I'd love to, you know, do whatever I can to help us get there, you know, try to take down the, those barriers to entry and stuff like that. But it is tough because uh, it's such a competitive sphere. Uh, you need to like, like it sinks because like number fire pays, we, we pay our freelancers and stuff like that, but not every site does. So if you want to get that experience, a lot of times you're taking no pay jobs. And again, not everyone can afford to have a, a, a job that they do for free. And I wish that it were different where like, if, I know it's not feasible for everyone to pay, but just finding ways to make it more accessible to people who may not have the time 
to write up an entire piece uh, for free and donate that time that way. I, I wish that that weren't the way things operated in a lot of ways. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, what would you tell someone who's in that situation thinking about trying um, to get into the fantasy industry? I think a big thing, um, if like, if you want to get like to a job where you are like employable, cause like there are like a decent number of like part-time and full-time jobs in the industry, like try to make yourself versatile, uh, because a lot of websites that have the ability to have like full-time or part-time people are doing content year round. And you can do fantasy football content year round because there's a, a hunger for it all year round. But it's also, you make yourself a lot more indispensable if you know multiple sports. So like it, try to learn football, but then also learn baseball. So you can, you know, have that, uh, that, 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 that viability there. It's a lot easier for DFS because obviously like the, the, the market for season long, uh, fantasy baseball content or fantasy basketball content is not as much there, but the more areas, you know, without putting out bad analysis, the better. Uh, that's a key too, is like, while you're trying to learn other things, don't give out bad analysis. Like don't just add a sport to add a sport. Like I said, I don't give advice for USC. I post, I copy and paste numbers on a sheet and publish them occasionally. I don't, I don't give like my actual advice. Like, cause I don't know anything about the fighters. You, why would you listen to that? Uh, but just try to learn additional sports, find a strong suit and um, allow yourself to have value all year round rather than just during fantasy football season. That's good. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. So are you participating in the Scott Fish Bowl this year? I am. I feel like every year I mess up the draft. Like, <laughs> I, I like, because like, obviously, like, that's not the first draft most of us are doing during the year. So like, you would think by that point, like, I would be okay. And I wouldn't be messing up my draft year after year after year. <laughs> it happens. So like, poor Scott Fish is kind enough to invite me into this league. Like, I know there's a bunch of people. So like, it's not like he's like personally burdened by me. But like, he, he sets up this entire league. And like, I am lucky enough to be one of the members. And then my team sucks every year. Every single year, this happens where my team is just bad. And it makes me sad that, th that this happens every year. I think that <laughs> I'm okay with my roster. Like, I don't think it's like something hideous by any means, but um, I, I feel like I went too heavy at wide receiver for the scoring rules. I immediated it. I regretted it fairly quickly. Um, and like, that was definitely something that if I could go back and redo it, I, I would go more running back heavy early. But I just think with the way that things broke, uh, I wound up going uh, more wide receiver heavy than I wanted to. And I wish, I wish I could have that back. Cause again, I don't want to besmirch. Like I don't want to be a drag on this, this really fun league because my team is terrible. <laughs> I think you're propping it up. You're making everybody else feel good because somebody <laughs> has to be last. Hey, so. <laughs> I know, you know, if I can make someone else feel good by having a terrible team, then that at least makes it feel a little bit better. So that is, that's the bright side here. And I, I like that perspective for sure. That's what Brent tells himself about all his leagues. I do. I do. <laughs> Although I think I, I'm propping up Brent in the one dynasty league we're in together. So I think oh. that, that uh, again, I'm helping, helping out the cause there, Brent. We're, <laughs> we're going to get to that. How is he four and two against you in that league? All time? I, didn't, I didn't even know that was the case. I had a really weird year last year where like all of my quarterbacks dried up like in week one. This is like, obviously like it's all dynasty leagues should be super flex. This one is. Um, and I think I had Ben Roethlisberger 
Andy Dalton and Marcus Mariota as my quarterbacks entering the year, which <laughs> is on me because like I shouldn't have had guys with shaky job security like, like Mariota and Dalton to begin with. But so I had to like overpay in order to get Aaron Rodgers on my team. Um, I had to get Jacoby Brissett as kind of like this patch. So I'm not surprised that Brent uh, was is four and two versus me because like I just kind of set myself up for failure with, with the quarterback situation in that league. Is this super flex? Yeah, yeah. And your I, quarterbacks were Andy Dalton, Ben Roethlisberger, and Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota is still hanging out there too. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to get rid of Marcus Mariota. Um, he will be there until the day I. Which won't happen. But if I were to leave this league, Marcus Mariota will still be on my roster that day because I refuse <laughs> to let my poor boy off to sea. <laughs> Brent, Brent likes Derek Carr, but I think Mariota is going to get some starter starts later in the year this year. I was hoping that Mariota would, but once they added like Henry Ruggs, um, Lynn Bowden, I mean, I know Bowden's being listed as a running back, stuff like that, uh, and Brian Edwards, like the odds that Derek Carr is bad enough to get benched seem a lot lower to me, that, me now, which is like super unfortunate because, again, I want Mario to, to <laughs> succeed. But uh, Carr was fine last year, and now he has better skill guys. So I, I'm expecting Carr to hold the position as much as it really does hurt my heart to say that. <laughs> Good call. Good call. <laughs> We have and, some rapid uh, fire. Oh, sorry, Brad, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, when, when Levi asked me to find out the, our overall <laughs> head-to-head record, I was like, oh, God, he's going to kill me. Because my team has never really been good in that league. I think this is our fourth year, and I think I yeah. only made the playoffs like once. Yeah. I finished third last year. That was because I, I, it was similar to the Damien situation that's, that's where Aaron Jones had like a long touchdown at the end of a game that he definitely should not have had. So like, again, I've gotten very lucky in a lot of things I think is the key takeaway here. <laughs> Aaron Jones was a beast down the stretch last oh well, all, all of last year, but especially down the stretch between best ball and dynasty stuff. Um, he was, he was very kind to me in those final <laughs> few weeks. It was, it was quite nice. Yeah. But me too. I have him in one of our leagues. So Absolutely. it was enjoyable. Absolutely. Yeah. We have some rapid fire. We'll wrap up the interview portion and hop into the main event. So First rapid-fire question, who is your favorite NFL team? So, I grew up a Jets fan. Um, I, like, I'm from Minnesota, so I should be a Vikings fan, but, like, my first year watching football was 98 when Gary Anderson missed the field goal, so kind of made me, made me not be a Vikings fan. So, unfortunately, I grew up a Jets fan. I kind of kind of root for the Rams, kind of root for the Browns. It depends on where my the players I like go. So, I, I, I grew up a Jets fan, still kind of root for them, but it, it kind of is wherever my favorite players wind up going at this point. Who's your current favorite player? Who? Favorite player? Um, it could be favorite NFL, favorite fantasy. What's up? Um, hmm. So, I think if I had to go with a favorite player – I guess, like, if if it's okay if I bend the rules and go non-current, I would say Debrickashaw Ferguson. Um, a little, <laughs> little bit of a callback there, but, like, I played offensive line when I was younger, so, like, I always wanted to, like, uh, I always looked up to, like, the Jets because they had this really good offensive line. They had Damian Woody at the time. They had Nick Mangold, Debrickashaw Ferguson. I think that Alan Fanica might have been there at that point. Um, like, this really good offensive line, and DeBrickashaw is my favorite member of that team. I do have a Nick Mangold jersey as well. So if I could cheat and go non-active, give me DeBrickashaw first. Yeah. 
Yeah. We have everybody come on this podcast and say he's their favorite player. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that he's the number one pick. They don't have to think as hard about it as I did. <laughs> what a name, uh, Debrickasha. Absolutely. Who's your favorite college football player? Uh, so, again, if we're going to go cheating and not go with a current one, uh, I'll go Kane Coulter. Um, I don't know if, like, NFL people really know Kane Coulter because he was very briefly on the Vikings, like, in, in preseason. But um, he was a quarterback slash wide receiver for Northwestern back in the day. And he was, like, so much fun to watch. He was this dynamic guy, pretty good passer. He split time with Trevor Simeon um, at, at quarterback for that team. He'd play receiver. He'd play quarterback. He would get – a lot of rush attempts. Uh, he was fun to watch, but then also like he led like the union movement in college football. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like really cool that he like went out there like that. Um, and like did so fairly successfully. I know that like, you know, things didn't play out uh, with the, w- the way that he was probably hoping with like the vote and stuff like that. But uh, Kane Coulter, you know, standing up for, for what he believed in trying to fight for the good of, of college football players and being a really freaking good player at the same time. I will always for a very at least for as long as I can think of it, I will pick Kane Coulter as that response there. Levi and I are Husker fans, so we definitely know who Kane. <laughs> that uh, that touchdown against Nebraska Coulter's. in twenty twelve. So okay, so you're are you guys from Nebraska? Yeah, I live in Kansas City now, but we're both from Nebraska. So I was at the Hail Mary game um, <laughs> when oh, no. Jordan Westerkamp caught the touchdown. <laughs> um, you can actually find like. I did play-by-play for that game for the student radio station, so you can find, like, me, like, my my call of that game. I would not <laughs> nice. recommend look, doing it because, like, I listened back to it, and, like, I use the passive voice, which you're not supposed to use uh, for, for play-by-play. So it's, it's a bad call, but, like, you can hear my heart being wrenched out of my chest um, as this happens. You can feel the stadium shaking, but, like, as – because, like, we flew with the team because they, like, I mean, like, they were very kind to us and stuff like that. Um, but, like, as we're leaving the stadium, like, all the Nebraska fans were like, oh, I hope you all have a good flight. Like, good luck the rest of the season. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, the, the stereotype of Nebraska people being nice is true. Like, that never happens where they actually live up to the reputation. So, I was, like, pleasantly shocked leaving the stadium of how, how wonderful everyone was there, despite how, how heartbreaking that loss was. I'm glad to hear crazy. that. There's yeah. been so many crazy games in that series the past since they joined the Big Ten. Yeah, um, it's been it's been a while. I also uh, it was at the year after I graduated, but I went back for one for one game at at Northwestern the year after I graduated and had the pleasure of watching Amir Abdullah go for like 250 yards <laughs> against them. So uh, welcome back to me. It was awesome. And then I've, I've loved Amir Abdullah for a long time despite that, and I'm still sad that he didn't wind up being more than he was in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. You and a lot of other fantasy players, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. So all of, who is the real NU? Is it Nebraska or Northwestern? So – I'm confused about how the University of Nebraska-Lincoln uh, winds up being NU. Um, like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, whereas Northwestern University makes sense it would be NU. So uh, I think I think we know where I stand on this one. I know that, like, OU is also, like, isn't it also University of Oklahoma? Yeah, and like, Kansas is the same way. University of Kansas. Yeah, KU. exactly. So Nebraska's not alone in confusing me, but because of the confusion – I say go cats. <laughs> Makes sense. Would you rather watch college football or the or the NFL? 
So I've, because of my job, I get to enjoy watching college football more because like I, I, I do some like college football stuff for like our betting show, but like most of my work revolves around the NFL. Um, so just from like an enjoyment perspective, I've gotten, I've been able to enjoy college football more. I know more about the NFL. So like I could enjoy it more that way, but like just being able to sit back and like enjoy college football without having to like think too hard about it without having to, to work too hard to analyze it. I think that definitely does nudge me towards college football. Yeah. If you could only play one, would you play dynasty redraft or DFS? Oh, DFS. Oh, by a <laughs> wide margin. I say like, like it's like tiered to me. It's, it's daily fantasy in its own tier dynasty in a second tier best ball in its own tier redraft is a couple of tiers down. Like I still enjoy it. Uh, but I love, how quickly uh, DFS turns over. I love, obviously, the money aspect's fun. Um, that's that's for, for sure uh, true. Um, I, I like all that stuff. For best ball, I like the lack of management because, like, it's it can be a lot to try to manage yeah. all these teams. So um, I would rank them DFS, Dynasty, best ball, redraft. Good. When it, um, oh, what is your biggest fantasy pet peeve? Uh, I don't like people who get perturbed about p- trades. Um, like, if both people agree to a trade and there is no collusion involved, I feel like the trade should be allowed to go through because, like, people have reasons for accepting trades. So, like, we don't need we uh, you know we don't need to go through the reasoning. The other part is like if like let's say I do a trade with Brent and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, Brent won that trade by so much. I'm going to feel pretty bad about that. Like from a personal perspective. And so like they have reasons for accepting that trade. Uh, if you say this trade shouldn't have gone through, it's kind of putting the person who accepted it down, like the, the losing side of the trade. So I think that I would want it to be pretty free reign unless there is pretty obvious uh, evidence of collusion, just because like, it would really stink to be on the wrong side of that uh, and be like the person who gave up the bad trade just because like, you know, fantasy is supposed to be fun. Let people have fun. We don't want to like make them have bad feelings about it. So I think that would be my, my one pet peeve there. Right. He said our slogan. <laughs> fantasy that? football is supposed to be fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I am all in favor of that. <laughs> when it comes to evaluating players, do you prefer data or film? I know data a lot better than I know film. Um, I've been trying to get better about film stuff. Um, Game Pass has been free uh, throughout this entire pandemic, which has been awesome. Um, But like from a a knowledge perspective, I know data better. So I'm going to lean on data more. But that also means I try to actively seek out the opinions of film people who I respect because I may not know it that well, but I know that there is value in it. So if I can do my part of it and then seek out their counsel, their advice uh, for the other part of it, I think that's probably the best way to play it. Uh, I think that, like, again, I think there's a lot of value in film. I'm just not going to be as skilled at that um, just because it's, it's a really tough thing to, to nail down. So I try to leave that to them and stick to the data side for the most part when I can uh, for, for my own self-analysis. What do you think about using draft capital as a proxy for film? I think it's it's not perfect, but there are advantages to doing so because it shows you, like, you just want to follow the money. And, like, here it's not literal money. It is investment and, and it sure. is capital. And if a team invests a first-round pick in Leonard Fournette and Leonard Fournette struggles, 
the odds that Leonard Fournette maintains his job despite those struggles for three years now are higher. So it's not, I wouldn't say it is a fill-in where you can just blindly trust draft capital, but it is valuable information to have because you kind of know what that team thinks of that player. You know what the league as a whole thinks of that player. And that is valuable information to have if you're trying to judge who is going to get playing time and who will be viewed well in the eyes of that team. My philosophy has always been that I know I'm not a talent evaluator. I'm not scout. I don't have any background in football really right? other than play through fantasy. And so right. I on data more. And my philosophy is if you have scouts that work for teams who do this all the time, it's their job. Right. Identify these players and that gets factored into where they draft them. That seems like a lot better proxy than trying to figure it out yourself or trying to identify people who are actually good at it because it's really hard to tell who is actually good at and who is not and who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. And we talk about the misses all the time in the NFL, but like that's because like talent evaluation is really hard. And when you look at like hit rates of the players, like especially a quarterback, like once you drop outside the top 10 picks, the odds that you wind up being a successful NFL quarterback are they drop significantly. So Quarter NFL evaluators miss. There are going to be misses, but they hit more often than we give them credit for. And I think that's why it makes sense, at least from my perspective, to give them to give weight to that that draft capital for sure. For sure. Uh, do you think we get a full NFL season this fall? So I think with the way baseball has played things where they kind of just tick the eh, we'll plow through it type mindset, and given how much money there is in the NFL, I think that we do. Um I would not be shocked if that hypothesis gets tested very quickly. Uh, like if there were to be some sort of a bump in the road. Um, so I would say yes is my lean, but my level of conviction in that is minimal. Cause like, it's just, it's so hard to predict the way a virus is going to behave, the way people are going to behave. It's, it's so hard to know, but if I had to guess, I would say in some shape or form, yeah, we do wind up getting a full season. What about college football? Obviously, we had the news today that we're at least yeah. the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are pushing to the spring. Do you think we get any sort of season for college? I would bet it happens in the spring just because the financials are so tied to it. Um, I, I would bet that it does wind up happening eventually. But I think it makes sense to, to push off towards the spring, try to get better testing protocols in place, uh, try to you know, maybe there's a vaccine in place by then that can be widely distributed. Like, I, I think it's a long shot to have it done by then and have it distributed to everyone by then. But like, you know, you never know. Things can happen. You know, we've, we've seen rapid timelines with all this stuff. So I think buying additional time is smart. Uh, so I will say, yes, of some form, we will see college football, but most likely in the spring. And I think that I think that the odds that ev- like the SEC and the ACC eventually go to the spring too, I think those odds are pretty high as well. That's where I'm at, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only watch one. Football, baseball, NASCAR, or golf. What are you going to choose? So I'd pick football. Um, I would pick football because it's my favorite sport to watch, but, like, it'd be tough not to be able to watch the, the Twins play anymore. Uh, it'd be tough not to watch Ryan Blaney inevitably lose a race after – leading half the laps, um, that would stink. So I'd pick football, but it would be a heartbreaking decision for sure. Would you rather build around running back or receiver? 
So I've had, I've made mistakes with this uh, in building around running backs in the past, uh, but I know why I made that mistake. And I know that it's because it's so much tougher to find viable running backs in fantasy. So even though the shelf life of a running back is short and that makes them pretty volatile players to build around in dynasty, I do still prefer to build around running backs despite that, because I know if you can get yourself a solid core of running backs, the odds that you hit the high end of your range of outcomes go up uh, from a dynasty perspective. So I do prefer to build around running backs. It's a very volatile strategy and can come back to bite you pretty often has bitten me for sure. Um, in that league we were just talking about, like I build built around running backs and it's pretty dicey right now to say the least. Uh, and it can <laughs> go poorly, but I think given the floor and the ceiling you can give yourself, if you have a good stable of running backs, I will still go with running back personally. Who's your favorite person in the fantasy industry? Industry. Um, so it's kind of a cop-out to say a co-worker, uh, but it is Brandon Gadula. Uh, Brandon Gadula, my co-worker over at numberfire.com. He's the managing editor there. And like, I host a, a golf podcast with Brandon. We do two football podcasts per week. So we wind up talking together like a lot which is nice because like I work from home, so I don't have any coworkers to actually like talk to, but like Brandon is, he's a great analyst. He's super smart and he's a really good person, which I think is very valuable. I want to surround myself with good human beings. And I know that Brandon is that. Um, So I would say Brandon Gadula, it's a cop out again to say uh, a coworker, but thankfully the list to choose from in fantasy is pretty big. And I, I think that's a great thing too. Yeah, I think that's especially worth noting given some of the events that have happened yeah, in the no community Sheesh. in the past week. So. Yeah. Uh, better gym, Halpert or Harbaugh? <laughs> Harbaugh's a wild dude. Um, <laughs> I know that like there is a segment of Twitter who thinks Jim Halpert sucks. Um, and like, you know, they, they put up some good points by the fact that he didn't consult Pam for a lot of things. And I think that that makes sense. But like, I think the the overall body of work is better for Jim Halpert. So I'll go Jim Halpert. I understand where the people, the Jim detractors are coming from. Uh, but I think the when you take the overall body of work into account, I still say Jim Halpert. Jim Harbaugh frightens me. Uh, so that, that definitely does influence the decision too. First time you've ever been asked that question? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> They're both HA as well. So like we're, we're totally driving here. And I think that Jim Halpert as Jim Harbaugh, like the mesh between the two, if we got like a mashup, I would, <laughs> I would pay to see that for sure. <laughs> It'd sell so much paper. Absolutely. Brent, <laughs> <laughs> you got one more, right? Um, oh, you have to risk all your money on one NFL bet this season. What bet do you make? Um, I would say the over on the Bengals win total. Uh, it's five and a half right now. Um, there's not a ton of juice on the over there. I think it was minus 120 the last time we looked, which is decently high. But um, five and a half, I think, is a low number. They get Jonah Williams back. Uh, he can play left tackle. That'll help upgrade the offensive line. I was disappointed they didn't do more in the draft to address the offensive line. Like I thought with that first pick in the second round, they would go offensive line. Instead they went with a skill guy, which was disappointing to me, uh, but I get it. Um, so I think, and they made a lot of investments on the def- defensive side in free agency. So I think when you add in 
the defensive gains in free agency. Joe Burrow obviously like is a factor in this, but I think that between the defense, between AJ Green, Jonah Williams coming back, I think that pushes me towards the over on the Bengals, um, and that would probably be the number one to me. They're like I think I would consider the Panthers over two and five and a half. The problem is our defense is going to be just hideous. So if I had to pick between one or the other, I would prefer the Bengals there. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's all we had for rapid fire. I did have one final thought while you were talking though. Would a yes. mashup of Jim Halpert and Jim Harbaugh look a lot like Dwight Schrute? I was going to say, no, actually, like, like, like uh, <laughs> characteristic-wise, too. Yeah. Because you were talking about him selling paper, and, like, Jim Harbaugh actually does have a lot of overlap with Dwight, Dwight Schrute, <laughs> which is, like, it's a very strange <laughs> thought to have, but, like, there is a lot of overlap. Like, if you show me Jim Harbaugh wearing, like, a CPR doll's face over his as a mask, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. It would not phase me a single bit. So I think you're onto something there for sure. We nailed that. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing our silly little warm up. Absolutely. Interview. I appreciate it.